anyone hear me? <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll make sure I got it done right. Yeah, yeehaw. Okay. Um, well, as, as Tom alluded to, you can tell probably by the choice of songs that we're talking about the Father this morning. And, you know, I think sometimes as believers, perhaps we have a tendency to see the Father as kind of this, this strict, killjoy, you know, uh, judgmental father. And I think we're just so sadly mistaken when we do that. And I know that's been a tendency for me to see God as more of the, you know, the, the lawgiver and, and the one who wants to crack down on people. But that's just simply not true. And sometimes I think we, we, we think of him as, as demanding and ungracious maybe even. And that Jesus is his, is his remedy for his lack of compassion or something. You know, we, we wouldn't put it in those terms, but sometimes I think if we're honest, we, maybe we kind of feel that way. Like, you know, we, well, we, you know God is um, angry with us or something. And, and I know that the devil really wants to use that, that lie in our lives to convince us that God is upset with us that he's angry with us, that we've met, that we're, we're too distant, that uh, you know, we, we're too sinful, and he's rejected us in some way. But it's just simply not true. It's such a lie and a, and a misnomer because God is a loving and a gracious Father. And I have to remind myself of that and allow the, the Spirit of God to remind me that he is gracious and he is loving and he is kind, and he is accepting. And so we're going to look at uh, chapter 15 of Luke, the story of the prodigal son, it's called. And at, at this time, Jesus had been out teaching, and Luke, well, you can read in Luke 14 and, and 15, it said that the tax gatherers and the sinners had, had gathered around. And I think it's interesting, actually, and I don't know that we have scriptures today. I, I tried to send those to Matthew, but I don't know if I got them to him in time. But either way, we're in Luke 15. Um, I kind of thought it was interesting the way verse, verses, uh, or verse 1, well, verses 1 and 2, the way that they read. It says, all the tax gatherers and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Because that happened a lot. You know, when Jesus was speaking, of course, a crowd would come. And it, and it specifically says the tax gatherers and sinners were coming to him. And then it immediately says both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. So <laughs> it's almost like we're given this, this, uh, this group, tax gatherers and sinners, and then the Pharisees and scribes are like a subgroup of that group. <laughs> they just happen to be there too, <laughs> among the tax gatherers and sinners. Maybe they fit right in. <laughs> And so they're complaining about Jesus, how he receives sinners and he eats with them. And of course, they're always complaining about, about Jesus. And he's guilty as charged. Yes, he does receive sinners and he does gather with them and eat with them. So at this time, Jesus is telling uh, the, these truths of the kingdom. And then he comes along and he shares parables. Now, you've probably heard a parable described as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, which is a, a great description of what a parable is. An earthly story 
with a heavenly meaning. You know, Jesus might talk about a tree or, or a farmer's field or these various things that people can relate to in order to express some sort of a, of a deeper kingdom truth. But the word parable actually means something cast alongside. So it's like Jesus would, would teach a truth and then he would throw in a parable. He would cast alongside that truth this story that would illustrate that truth. So he tells a few stories here about lost things, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and, and a lost young man. That, that interestingly enough, the, I suppose the publishers or the editors of, of many of our, of our texts, of our Bibles, they put a heading up there, the prodigal son. And so I don't know what you think of when you think of prodigal, a prodigal. If I'm honest, I always thought of a prodigal as one who was rebellious or wayward, one who left. And, and hopefully, you know, and in this case, he comes back. But I always thought of a prodigal kind of in that negative way of, of rebellion or waywardness. And interestingly enough, that's actually not what the word means. The word prodigal actually means wastefully extravagant or lavish. So it kind of has to do with the way that you spend your, your resources or, or the way you spend your life. It might be your time, it might be money. Um, wastefully extravagant or lavish. So as we, as we go through this story... In chapter 15 of Luke, beginning with verse 11, I want to approach it a little bit differently. Oftentimes when the story is read, we, we look at this younger son, the one that's been labeled the prodigal, and he was prodigal in his spending, and he was extravagant. Or we kind of focus on the older son toward the end of the story. But I don't know how many times we read this story and we really focus on the father. So I wanted us to, to just go through this story and really kind of focus in on the father in this story, who we normally would understand to represent God. So um, we're going to look at this story maybe in a little bit different light. And when we do, understanding the meaning of the word prodigal, that it means lavish or, or extravagant, we will find that the father in this story is a little bit prodigal himself. He's very lavish and he's very extravagant with his grace and his mercy and his tenderness and all of these things. He's a prodigal father in a lot of ways. So sometimes this story gets skewed because people came along and labeled it the story of the prodigal son. But Jesus didn't label it that. That came, you know, that came later with publishers and editors. We need to look at this story for, for what we can find in it um, and with a little bit maybe better understanding of what it means to be prodigal. It can be negative, but it can also be positive. So starting in uh, chapter 15 of Luke, verse 11, this is these first two verses. So Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And I think right off the bat we can see an extravagant father, <laughs> a giving, generous, lavish father who just, the son asks for his share and he gives it to him. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Why did the father not say, um, what? You know how inappropriate that was for him to ask for this? 
you've probably heard this, this story uh, described before. You know, it's this Jewish father who, who has an estate to leave to his sons, and, and they would each get a share. And normally the older son would get a little bit more than the younger son. And, and that would come when the father is, is no longer with us. In an appropriate time, when he's gone, he would leave his estate to his, to his boys. Well, this younger son comes along and asks for his share of the estate, and, and the father divided the wealth between them right then. <laughs> this is premature. It's, it was rather inappropriate. Now, some people will say that, that for this son to come to this father and ask for his share of the estate so early, he's basically saying that, Father, you're as good as dead to me. You might as well be dead to me because I, I want what I would receive when you, when you do pass away. And the father just extravagantly, lavishly, generously gives to this son. So the request was ill-timed and, and inappropriate. Maybe not necessarily downright sinful, but certainly inappropriate and ill-timed. And this younger son did not appear to have Proverbs twenty twenty one in mind, which says, An inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. <laughs> and we find that uh, definitely in this story. We need to trust God's timing. See, the thing is, this son would have received his share of the estate, even if he had never asked for it, right? He would have received it anyway. The issue was the timing. So picking up in, in verse, uh, uh, verses 13 through 17. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And that's where we would pick up that idea of him being prodigal. <laughs> he was extravagantly wasteful. He was very lavish in what he did with what was entrusted to him. He squandered his estate with loose and that word could probably be translated, I think it is maybe in the New King James Version, prodigal living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, which is not what a young Jewish man wants to find himself doing. He was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? If we are impulsive and impatient and demanding about asking God for his blessing, then we will likely be prodigal in our management of it when he gives it to us prematurely. Because oftentimes maybe God will. <laughs> I mean, you look through your Bible at the times when people demanded something. Remember when they demanded a king and, and God said, nope, you don't want a king. Yeah, yes, we do. We want a king. All right. <laughs> but this is what's going to happen if you get a king. You know? And he did. He gave him a king. And we see times like that where people get impatient and they demand something of God and, and he gives it to them. And it's usually premature and it doesn't work out for the best. So what is it that you're asking God for or trusting God for? You know, maybe it has to do with, uh, with a career or a job or, or maybe a spouse or 
Maybe it's to have a baby or to go back to school or maybe for a raise at work or to win Publishers Clearinghouse. I don't know what it is that you're asking God for, but we need to be careful sometimes when we ask God for, these, for things that are even things that are really good. And every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, from the Father of lights, the Bible says, from above. But we need to be patient and trust Him for His perfect timing. You remember how the Israelites, when they were set free from captivity in Egypt, and they're out here kind of in the wilderness wandering around, and it didn't take very long, and they got impatient. And God sent them manna, and, and they were complaining, saying, you know, we're just out here eating this manna every day. At least when we were in Egypt, we had meat to eat. <clears throat> And somehow they forgot that, yeah, but you also were, were in total bondage and you're trying to, you know, make bricks and build cities for, for the Pharaoh and whatever, and, and your life was miserable. But they're saying, oh, but we would, you know, this, if we could just go back to Egypt, we would have meat to eat, all because of, of desire and hunger. They would give up freedom <laughs> for a little bit of meat to eat. And, and God sent quail to them. And when you read the text... It says he also sent a plague among them. And you can read about that in Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 35. See, the timing wasn't right. Do you think God would have never allowed them to have meat again? Oh, I doubt it. But he was providing for them what they needed at the time, and the timing was not right yet. So the first lesson I think we can get from, uh, from this passage is to trust the Father's timing. It is always perfect. Trust His timing. Our premature attempts to fulfill the desires of the flesh will end in spiritual starvation. Remember verse 17? When He came to His senses, He said, How many of my Father's hired men, you know, the servants, the slaves, have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. But boy, what a good place for Him to be, because if He hadn't come to a place of literally starving, would he have ever turned back to the Father? So we need to get to that place of spiritual starvation where we realize all of these things that we think we want or that we demand God for prematurely, they're not always what we need. We need to be spiritually hungry enough to run back to the Father. Let's pick up in verse 18. So he says, because he's at this point, he says, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, that wasn't the words of the father. He didn't say, you're no longer to be worthy to be called my son. The son said that about himself. Are you hungry enough to go back to your father? <clears throat> this father in this story did not just welcome his son back. That would have been more than he deserved, just to be welcomed back would have been more than he deserved. But no, this father, he ran to meet and to greet this son. And, and again, you've probably heard it said that in this culture, <laughs> in this time, 
for a Jewish man to, to lift his robes up and run, they, they just didn't do that. That's a little bit too undignified. But that's what he did. And that's what our Father does for us. He runs to us to welcome us back and to embrace us. <clears throat> Luke 15, verse 7, you just back up a little bit in the same chapter. Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He's teaching a truth and he casts alongside it this story to illustrate this father who lifts up his robes and runs down the road to meet this wayward son who has come to a place of starvation where he's hungry enough. He wants to go back to the father. So the second thing we can learn here from, from this passage is our father always welcomes us back. Do you know how good news that is? I mean, if you're like me, and, and your mind and your heart sometimes starts to wander, <laughs> your desires aren't always really right, do you know how good a news it is that the Father always welcomes us back? What an honor and what a privilege it is to serve a God who runs to us with open arms. Continuing on, and starting in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, and I think it's interesting the way this reads, the son sitting here pining on about <laughs> all of this stuff. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's almost like the father isn't even listening <laughs> to him. He's like, you know. He tells the slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again and was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry. They threw a party. That's what the father does. So the son no longer felt like a son. Have you ever noticed how sin will do that to you? You start dabbling around a little bit in sinful ways. Just when our hearts are hardened and we just, for whatever reason, we want to go our own way. We don't feel like a son anymore. But the father received him back as the son that he, that he was. The father does not disown him. He does not punish him. He does not lecture him. He does not view him as less than. He just rejoices over his return. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but has been found. See, the father, he's being prodigal again. Verses 22 and 23, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let us eat and be merry. See, the same prodigal father who extravagantly gives, who lavishly gives, and who divided his estate and gave it to this son, even at a premature, almost inappropriate time for him to request it, he gives so generously. 
And then the son goes and he squanders and he, and he, he, he lavishly wastes what the father entrusted to him. And when he comes back, the father just simply welcomes him back and he throws a party for him. <laughs> he, again, he's extravagant and he's lavish with his grace and with his mercy and with his love, with his acceptance of this wayward son. He received him back just as he was before he left as a son, justified. You've probably heard that word described this way, justified. The word justified means just as if I'd never sinned. You can remember what justified means by remembering. It's just as if I had never wandered away. God just welcomes me back. Uh, There in verse 22, look at what this father does. Quickly bring out the best robe. Do you know you've been clothed in a robe of righteousness? You know, when I think about the things that we do as wayward children, the things that we think, the decisions that we make, and, and God wraps us, if we accept Him and what Jesus did for us, He wraps us in a robe of righteousness. And I think that's why when, when, when the son comes back and he says, Oh, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. It's as if the father is not even, not even really listening to him. Because when he looks at you, he sees a righteous child. Think about that. When he looks upon us, he doesn't see this wayward, sinful, dirty, nasty. It's, it's a white robe of righteousness and purity that's been given to us. He wraps us in that. Bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Now, when my wife put a ring on my finger, it showed ownership. And don't you ever doubt it. She owns me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But seriously, you know, a covenant. That's what that represents, right? Covenant. And so this, this father puts a ring on his hand, a ring showing a covenant relationship that cannot be broken. It it always remains. It is settled. He puts a ring on his hand. He puts sandals on his feet. So he can continue on this journey in this kingdom with the Father. That's what he does for us. That's what he has done for us. We're the ones that sometimes wander away and then come back saying, Oh, I'm no longer even worthy to be called a son. Just make me as a hired hand. But God says, Oh, no, 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 no. You've been wrapped in, in a robe of righteousness. You have a ring on your finger. It's a covenant that I will never break. And you can't break it either, as hard as you try. And, and you have sandals on your feet. You can just walk this journey along with me. So the third lesson we can learn here is our Father welcomes us back as sons, not servants. He welcomes you as a son or a daughter. You're a son or a daughter of the King. Don't forget your status and your standing that this generous father 
lavishes on you. And in verse 25, the last section here, the older son. He was in the field, out in the field. When When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Oh, but this older son, he became angry. He was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I have never... Now, let me back up here. When I read this verse, listen to the personal pronouns in this verse. Just listen for how many times he talks about himself in this verse. Look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours, yet you never gave me a kid that I might be married with my friends. (laughs) What a self-focused attitude. Why is he not able to receive this younger brother and rejoice with the rest of them? Maybe because he's just so focused on himself. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And what does the father say to him? He says, my child, you have always been with me. All that I have is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Many of us can maybe identify with the older brother at times, this older son. Perhaps we've been a Christian for a long time and we've really remained pretty faithful. You know, we show up. And we're faithful to, to come to, to church for worship. Uh, we, we, maybe we serve on a committee. We tithe faithfully. We even give extra. and We give offerings. You know, we, we do all of these things, and, and we, we try to live right, and, and we've walked this journey for a long time. But then when a brother or sister leaves the faith or at least goes off the rails for a while and they come back, maybe we're not so ready to, to easily accept them. Maybe there's sometimes jealousy and a critical spirit. But that's not the way it is with the Father. Notice in, in verse 28, this, this older son became angry. He was not willing to go in, and his father came out to him. Just like the father ran to the younger son, He comes out and he goes to the older son as well. Our father is always so eager to come to us and to welcome us and to greet us back into the fold. That's the kind of father that we serve. He moves toward both of his sons. The one who left and the one who left without leaving. Do you know what I mean? He, he left. He, he was there present, but he wasn't there. He left without leaving. And we can do that sometimes too. We can sit here week after week. and We can participate, but maybe we're not really there. We're not really here. Our heart's not really in it. We're not really with the Father. He's coming back to us to welcome us back. 
So this, this prodigal father reminded his son that all he had to offer was his all along. Verse 31, you know, everything I have is yours. And if you back up to the very beginning of this, um, he, it says in verse 12, the father divided his wealth between them. Now, some people think that means he just divided it in half. Maybe he did, I, we don't know. Gave half to one son, half to the other. So even though the older son hadn't asked for his yet, the impression is, you know, it's yours. <laughs> Here it is. So our fourth lesson for us to learn here is that our Father is always seeking us out for relationship and reminding us of who we are in Him. Everything He has is ours. He lavishly, extravagantly offers it to us. So this morning, where are you in this story? Are, are you the younger son who's maybe just been a little bit demanding and, and kind of gone your own way and you're to that place where you're spiritually hungry enough that you're like, I've got to go back to the Father? Or are you the older son who maybe has an attitude of, you know, I've, I've always served you, I've always been here, I've always done what's supposed, what we're supposed to do, but maybe you're your attitude isn't really quite right. Your heart's not really in it. Either way, the Father is welcoming you with open arms. So I just encourage you to, to run to Him as He runs to you. And be reminded of what it is like to be embraced by a loving, heavenly Father. Let's continue in our worship.